Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Today we're going to meet the Transformers. No, I'm not talking about Optimus Prime and Company, but I'm talking about some men and women that are just as heroic in their real world context. We've been examining models of ministry in Canadian cities using the acronym QUEST. There are five models uh, from our Mission Canada Urban Guiding Group survey that start to give us definition to God at work in our communities. So let's look at those letters for the word quest. Q stands for qualitative neighboring. These are people who choose a front porch instead of a pulpit and view being a neighbor as a primary spiritual vocation. The letter U stands for urban churches. These houses of worship seek to be an expression of God's goodness in their city context. A love for God and a love for city keep them located where they're needed and not necessarily where it will be easy. The letter E stands for energizers. Who are the communicators, artists, and influencers that bring God's spirit to the surrounding culture? S, street ministry workers with a backpack and a cell phone. These are the mobile pastors and evangelists that will follow the scent to people in trouble and on the margins of society. Like St. Bernard dogs, they will go the distance to save someone that has fallen. And then the letter T, which is what we're talking about today, transformers. Who are the people that organize relief and development for the most vulnerable citizens? as they feed, as they clothe, shelter, and bring hope to their city, community transformation inevitably happens. So let's meet today's guests, and I want each of them, after uh, I introduce you, to take a couple minutes to uh, introduce yourself and your organization. And so we're going to start in Guelph, Ontario. Kevin Coghill is pastor and staff member at Royal City Mission. Royal City Mission is in downtown Guelph. And uh, I uh, got to know Kevin more um, because he's a musician and uh, Royal City Mission hosts a winter blues festival in their beautiful old church building. In fact, my uh, band Two Fish, uh, Kevin Rogers, myself, and Kevin Saunders, there's two Kevins. Uh, it got quite confusing at Royal City Mission because if anybody yelled out, hey, Kevin, there are three of us would all turn and, and say, what? So anyways, hey, Kevin, uh, welcome. So uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us uh, a little bit about Royal City Mission. Awesome. So yeah, I'm Kevin. I'm the lead pastor at Royal City Mission. I've been here 11 years now, and uh, I love being downtown Guelph. We're the closest to the center of Guelph uh, for any church. We're actually one building removed from the very center of Guelph, um, which is a fountain. So we're basically next to the fountain, which is a great location to be. And uh, I guess I could tell you a a little about Royal City by giving you our tagline, which is making the invisible visible. And that comes into play in so many ways. Um, We provide a space for people who are not seen. Uh, and we try to hear them, we try to listen, 
and we try to provide a place for them to be safe, uh, to be loved, a place out of the heat and the cold. And also in making the invisible visible, visible, invisible, visible, I said it twice, I think, um, we try to live out the love of God and the compassion of God, which is our invisible qualities that people need to receive. And so we try to do that for everyone that walks through our door. Um, we always say, who are the sheep that God is sending us? Um, or who we find out on the street, because we don't just keep our things inside the building. We try to spill over into the downtown and throughout the city. Um, and so those, those invisible qualities of love and compassion are, um, are present in, in our staff and our volunteers, and even in our community members. It's surprising how often we receive from them more than they receive from us. And so we serve two meals each day, uh, six days a week. Uh, and we're open from one to six throughout the day for people uh, to come in. Have Right now, there's no washrooms available in Guelph. That's been most of the year. So we're the only washrooms that are available to people who are unsheltered and the only place for them to be. Um, so we serve two meals, one at one and one at 6.30, about 800 meals a week. Um, but usually when we talk about our programs, people think that we're feeding people and we are, but that's not actually what we're trying to do. We're trying to build relationships. So we sit at the tables together. We encourage our staff and volunteers when it's possible to eat together, to share stories, to laugh and to cry. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and Royal City. Just a clarifying question. Uh, were you um, a uh, church first or a mission first or like what, what, which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's a funny question. I, I, I don't know if I can answer that. So I came, I would say I was a mission pers for person first, even though I was brought up in the church. Okay. And, yeah. and tell us a little bit about the, uh, where, where you're housed. Yeah, so we're in a building, that, uh, a stone church building, uh, built in 1850. Uh, amazing, beautiful building, and uh, we are um, we love it. It's it's kind of cool because it is a it's a historic building, and it's used for people who uh, don't always get to be in historic buildings, right? So, um, again, right down right downtown Guelph, located amidst uh, stores and restaurants, and kind of the great place to be in Guelph actually. Yeah. What a, what a cool room. Uh, what a cool building. One of, I would say it's, it's definitely uh, the top building. I, I love to play music in. So hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was a youth pastor in Exeter, Ontario, uh, I would bring some of my youth and uh, some of our musicians to help out at Arcade Street Mission in downtown London. Uh, that was a place that had a great influence on my later decision to move to Windsor and to start New Song Church. Arcade Mission outgrew the little storefront where I uh, first uh, visited and moved into larger quarters in later years. One of its directors uh, was the recently retired uh, Doug Whitelaw, and uh, the one replacing him as director in the last couple of years was Sarah Campbell. And uh, while I uh, don't really know Sarah that well, uh, I know Doug uh, a little bit better. So I'm going to ask Doug if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and uh, your uh, 
you know, what makes you tick and then, and then introduce Sarah to us. Yeah. Hi. And thanks for uh, letting me participate. Uh, I was at Arcade for uh, 10 years before I retired last year. And prior to that, I did a few, a few things, uh, I guess, to answer the question that, uh, <laughs> that uh, Kevin asked Kevin, uh, I started out in pastoral ministry, and that's really where I first intersected with Kevin a little bit, too, and his dad when they were pastoring in Exeter. I was in the northern part of Huron County in Wingham. Swing and Wingham. Swing and Wingham. And uh, the mighty CKNX. Uh, and I left there in the uh, 30 years ago this summer, actually, and uh, moved to Nairobi and was involved in theological education uh there for the rest of the 1990s and came home uh just in time for the y2k scare if you remember that uh christmas 1999 because our son was uh, getting on through high school and it was time to uh, get him relocated back into canada and uh, then i actually pastored with kevin's dad for a little bit in my home church uh that was cool to reconnect with them again and, uh, and then I moved to London uh, about 18 years ago to uh, work with Ron Garrison. Some of you will know Ron, uh, Mission Partners International. And so Ron had a humanitarian aid mission to the former Soviet Union. And uh, it was really fascinating uh, time to work with him to see what the church was doing uh, after the fall of the, of the Soviet Union. Uh, an explosion of church growth, very young Christians, very untrained, uh, not un dissimilar from what we would see in Africa as well. And uh, so that was that was cool. And yet he had some fantastic partners that he worked with and supported, uh, particularly on the humanitarian side as they uh, re reached into, you know, very uh, fragile social situations for people there. And then uh, I was invited out of the blue, uh, I think in large part, thanks to Kevin's father, actually, who put a bug in the former director's ear that I was in London. And uh, so I was kind of recruited to uh, come to the Arcade Street Mission and was there for a little over 10 years. Uh, and at that point, uh, it was largely a soup kitchen, very much similar to what Kevin described, Girl City Mission. Uh, had a few other things going on as well, clothing and so on. But again, the very real purpose was relationship building, you know, to sit with people, to get to know them, be part of their lives. And really to be one of a trusted presence in people's lives who they didn't have very many <laughs> others like that. So uh, like all good things, they come to an end and we were very happy to uh, turn it over to Sarah a year ago. And Sarah really has a much better background for this than I had. Uh, she's got a degree in the social work field from the University of Waterloo, I think it was, has worked in various social agencies, uh, I think in, a, in the women's sector at one point, was the executive director here in London on Meals on Wheels, worked in a senior executive capacity for London Middlesex Housing, and then came to uh, the ARC uh, a year ago uh, to take over and lead it forward into great things. So uh, I like to think of Sarah as really the complete package. <laughs> uh, and uh, she can say hello and uh, she's uh, taking it on into uh, 
further afield, of course, in response largely to the, the, the pandemic. So uh, welcome to Sarah. Hey, Doug. I always like following Doug because he's so kind, but also uh, much like he described, you know, Doug has been a pioneer and a, an amazing foundation builder in much of his ministry work. And so uh, it's really been fabulous to follow. A great leader will will have an organization poised for new leadership, and that's exactly what Doug did. So really, really grateful for Doug, and so so happy to be kind of sharing the the stage, if you will, or the panel with Doug as we talk about this. Um, I'm Sarah Campbell. I'm not a pastor, but I'm a pastor's daughter. I grew up in church for sure, uh, and I have always felt that my work with marginalized folks, whether it was with abused women and children, uh, people with disabilities, um, people deprived of housing, uh, that, that I've been living on mission. So I actually really love your QUEST acronym as a way that we live out our faith and, and can be ministers of the gospel, which, which, which we've all been called to do. Uh, God equipped me and called me into the social services side of things. And that's how I educated and that's how I've been serving. But coming to the ARC has been um, so joyful because uh, rather than praying on my way into work and then being very careful about how I hold my faith in my day-to-day -day work, I declare boldly that uh, I acknowledge God in the work that we're doing. It's really lovely to be able to say, you know, that what you're going through is really hard and could I pray for you can I share with you something that has brought me hope or or has helped me make some sense out of things so just really exciting to bring um the ministry component uh and the social work component together in this work here at ARC. Arcade Street Mission has gone through a lot of growth uh and um kind of like what Kevin was talking about at Royal City Mission, it's been a, a really interesting year for faith-based organizations, I think, to take that step of faith in a scary time of COVID to say, yes, we do need to be very mindful. We do need to be following public health guidelines, but we are going to find a way to serve through it. We are going to open our doors. We are going to open our hearts. We are going to be in it with people. Um, we are not all in the same boat, but we have been in a similar storm. The storm has disproportionately affected the marginalized people in our communities, and we have had to find new ways to meet their, that need with them. Um, I'm excited for the conversation and the questions you sent, because I think you've, you've hit on a number of things that, uh, that we as, as faith-based organizations or organizations with that motivation grounded in God's great love for people get to do just a little bit differently. We get to add that, that God level creativity. And so that's been the funnest part for me uh, in joining the ARC team. And I look forward to our discussion together. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Can you uh, just give us uh, just a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of uh, the operations? What, what happens at Arcade Mission? Well, that's what I mean when I say there's been a lot of growth. <laughs> so um, here at the ARC, uh, we do uh, meal meal provision. Uh, we've grown about 300% in that meal provision. So uh, we're doing about 200 meals uh, a day um, at this point. That's our average. Uh, part of that is because we've been supporting um, what was a very innovative winter interim response to homelessness called WISH. 
that has now become an ongoing housing, transitional housing uh, program. Mm -hmm. With that program, uh, we supported two locations with 60 people throughout the winter months. We're down to one location and 30 people uh, that we are continuing to support people with very high acuity. These are folks who really should have full supportive housing. Um, it doesn't exist in our systems anymore. Uh, there isn't a pathway into supportive housing. And so these are truly the marginalized, unloved. If we think about biblical terms, this would be the lepers of, the, of our society. Um, people just want to walk away and not see them. Uh, but we see them. We love them. And we've been living life with them, um, which has been wonderful. Um, and so that's a big part of what we've been doing. In addition to that, our location here at 696 Dundas Street in Old East Village has the entire road ripped apart in front of it. And it started in, uh, like COVID wasn't enough challenges. We just thought we'd add like the entire road being ripped up for nine months of the year. Um, so access to our building is really difficult and was creating some safety issues. So we've actually shut down operations in this building other than cooking our meals and doing sort of one-on-one -on -one services here. And we've relocated all of our congregate services to the YMCA downtown, which is about 1.2 kilometers from where we are. And so we're doing our meal program there, our shower program, uh, clothing, basic needs provision, advocacy, taxes, uh, you name it, we're doing it there. We have a partnership with Intercommunity Health. They're doing health services there. Uh, we have students coming in and doing foot care once a week. We have a lot of things going on from that space. Uh, and it really has been pivot, pivot, pivot all year long. I'm grateful for the relationships I came into this role with in our city. Uh, I couldn't do it without the partners we have here. And the churches, I have to say, um, the churches in London, Ontario have led the way by being the church, recognizing that they haven't had the building to be in. They've continued to be the church and show up in the ways they can. They have been supporting us financially. They have um, volunteered when able to. They have brought in the items we need to meet this increased demand. And so that kind of has have helped us to also go outside of the walls of our building and say, wherever we need to be the church, we're going to show up and be that to our community too. So it's been challenging and fun and hard. <laughs> yeah, that word pivot, you know, I wonder if we should use the word wobble and uh, you're all weebles. You weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Um, well, uh, when I moved to Windsor, Ontario from Exeter, north of London, uh, I became acquainted uh, in my first year with Mike Morency. Uh, Mike would leave his youth pastorate in Kitchener and move back to his hometown of Windsor. And he became part of the pastoral team in our first few years as a brand new church, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to live like Jesus in, in the downtown core. Eventually, uh, after some years of pastoral ministry, Mike would return to the University of Windsor, get his degree in social work, uh, worked in social work for a few more years, and uh, then returned to a faith-based organization named Matthew House. At that time, uh, it was a three-bedroom bungalow that uh, was involved 
assisting refugee claimants as they integrate into Canadian society. Well, from that three-bedroom bungalow, uh, Mike moved into uh, a complex where Matthew House houses many, many more. So um, welcome, Mike. And uh, in, I've, I've given a little introduction, introduction, if there's anything else you want to add to that. And, and tell us how Matthew House is living out its mission. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you. And, and Sarah, just for the record, so far in my own amen count, which is kind of a little thing that I do, you're winning just <laughs> in the amen count. Um, so uh, I'm actually uh, have a few different hats that I wear. I'm lead strategist for Synergistic Solutions Group. Uh, we do consulting services for charities and nonprofits in, in southwestern Ontario and in southeast Michigan. Um, uh, I am um, uh, part of the team at a small church in uh, Bell River, um, which is just outside the city of Windsor, where in the midst of this pandemic, uh, me and, and, and a few others got the crazy idea to start a, a regular community meal program. And then, of course, as Kevin said, my, my primary role is as uh, Minister Director of Matthew House Refugee Welcome Centre. Um, Matthew House, uh, we draw our mandate from Matthew 25, 35, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And, and really my personal heartbeat is to be an energizer. Um, I, while I'm not an artist, um, uh, I, want to, I want to energize, I want to see the body of Christ rise up and be the hands and feet of Christ in the world to truly be the, the physical representation of the world. So Sarah, you got an amen when you talked about the churches in London rising up and going outside of the walls. That's that that's always been a part of Mike's heart. And uh, Mike, uh, you hit the mute there. So we lost you for a second. So that's why I jumped in. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I didn't notice, so I'm going to put the remote down so I don't accidentally hit that button again. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's been my heartbeat and so excited when I heard about the churches in London and Matthew House wouldn't be who we are without the body of Christ, our church partners and Christians in the community um, providing support and joining us in the work of ministry. So Matthew House um, provides temporary shelter, settlement supports and community orientation, community connections for refugee claimants and precarious migrants. These are people who um, aren't eligible for any of the federal government settlement supports. They've not yet had a hearing and, and really would be left floundering in a generic homeless shelter um, if, if it wasn't for Matthew House. And we really, uh, our model, we, we refer to it as a home and family model, but there's three words that we use to describe what we do and that's hope, home and family. So we provide hope by providing home and being family. And really, we just journey alongside people. So um, if they need help with their, their immigration paperwork, great, we're going to do that. If they need help accessing food and nutrition sports, great, we're going to do that. They need somebody to sit with them and grieve because their mama back home in their home country passed away, we're going we're gonna to take some time and, and sit with them and grieve. Um, if they have been successful in their hearing or graduated university or started their own business, we're going to celebrate with them. And uh, all, all within the context of building bridges uh, for Christian relationship, building bridges for the gospel. And uh, as, as Kevin said, I, I spent the beginning of my career um, in pastorate, 
um, but always in, in, uh, in new churches, urban churches like New Song. Um, so I kind of built a parallel career in the nonprofit community and, and moved exclusively to that in 2005 and really was praying for the Lord to, to give me opportunity to return to ministry and so thrilled to be here at Matthew House where on any given day I can use social work skills, pastoral skills, marketing communication skills, but all while journeying alongside of some incredible people like the young men pictured behind me, Kevin was asking about earlier. Um, and, and really it's about helping precious men and women who have lost everything. Um, in some cases they've arrived in our country and they don't even feel they can use their name because this is Canada and their name is too hard to say. And I say, no, that's your name. That's who you are. It may be all you have left. Um, so we journey alongside them to see them as quickly as possible become self-sufficient contributing members of our community. And that includes connecting them to churches and faith community and, and building bridges of, of faith. So. So good to, to see you even online, Mike. We're in the same city, but any chance to see is a good good opportunity. Yeah, we don't get enough opportunities. <laughs> yeah, uh, when uh, when I started uh, this podcast, uh, our first episode was January first, twenty twenty, and we're now in our second season. Our very very first guest was Roger Fordham, and Roger's the director of Feeding Windsor, uh, which started a with uh, himself and a, a, a small handful of people at a downtown Presbyterian church here in Windsor. Uh, that church closed down, and so Roger migrated over to New Song Church, where I pastor. And uh, uh, from uh, one church closing to uh, being involved with us, uh, together we've witnessed this uh, incredible growth of Feeding Windsor. And uh, so, Roger, um, welcome uh, from uh, the downstairs office, and uh, I'm in the upstairs office. And uh, anyways, uh, just to invite you to unmute and uh, tell us a little bit about the primary activities of Feeding Windsor. Uh, thank you. Um, well, Feeding Windsor is a multi-tiered food programming uh agency for, for uh, Windsor. Uh, initially, we started in Windsor, but now we're, we're out in the counties in a few locations. Um, and and ba based on just uh, offering, um, trying to meet people where they are, um, creating neighborhood in, in their neighborhood, creating community there and joining them with the people uh, that they bump into every day in their, their walk and going to the variety store and walking by the church. And uh, we're um, we don't have infrastructure. We use, uh, we work pretty collaboratively and cooperatively with our community partners. So we use infrastructure that's already there. Uh, gives the church a chance to light up the building another day of the week. And it also gives the church a chance to church. Uh, you know, we know they all show up on Sunday to worship, but uh, the other days they sometimes strive to do the, the work. Uh, and we, we try to be a tool for the church to reach out to its community and uh, to, to show people that they're loved and that they matter uh, right, right where they are. And uh, we also offer a, a second tier, which is uh, lunch clubs, and it's done in CHC housing buildings. That would, uh, for people outside Windsor, CHC is the Community Housing Corporation, I think? 
Yes. City housing. Right. And uh, so right now we're in uh, two 400 unit buildings. And that's uh, for people, uh, that's a, the next tier where if, if you are hungry and just need fed, we have a meal every night of the week that you can go to and, and, and enjoy a hot meal. Uh, but if you're in housing and you're, you know, you're, uh, have uh, food security issues or social isolation, uh, there's the opportunity to be part of a lunch club where people actually participate by buying a membership for $25 and get 20 hot lunches right in their building. And uh, we have about 100 people a day that sit down to that, take advantage of that. And, and that's just based on the premise that, you know, wherever you are in life, you know, we're not here to judge you, but uh, life is uh, uh, some uh, participation sport. So no matter where you are in life, you need to be a participator in it. And it gives them an opportunity to buy in and they meet. They, it's, it's funny because the feedback we get is so many times like people didn't even want to go down and get their mail in the building. Now they know that it's safe because they go down and get their mail on the way to the lunch. And it's the same time that Bob and Dorothy and uh, Mabel, you know, go, are going down for their lunch. And they go do the laundry on Tuesday because that's when Bill does his laundry on Tuesday. And it's kind of interesting because in these buildings, quite often the problem represents, uh, you know, 50 tenants and 350 are held captured. And all of a sudden they start moving around and taking, taking back the building. It's really interesting to watch. Um, we also operate a social enterprise where we do uh, we provide food for the COVID center uh, for the last year and a half and, and for the emergency shelter fam family emergency shelter program for the city. So we're kind of an anomaly in that, you know, we're, we're a social enterprise as well as as a charity. We have a luxury of raising a lot of the funds uh, through the business side uh, for what we do. So we have a lot of uh, uh, flexibility in what we do. And uh, we raise literally about 50% of our budget ourselves. So it gives us a lot of, well, we want to do this, we want to do that, and we can. Um, we've been very fortunate in the city. We, we uh, started off uh, seven years ago. First year, we did 12,000 meals. Uh, last year, we did 186,000 meals. So uh, we have about 10 locations in the city for the community meal, and many of those locations have multi-tier, uh, multi-points uh, of contact uh, with us. So here we are, we're uh, a mix of social work and church and faith-based uh, charities and nonprofits. And at one time, uh, it became common to separate the spiritual formation activities uh, from the faith-based specialized work of relief and development in our communities. One was called church and the other was called parachurch. Uh, another common reality uh, is the genesis of faith-based ministries that eventually over time uh, with government funding uh, become more secular in their orientation and the gap widening from the original body of faith. So my first question for the panel is, how do you balance the leading of God's spirit and the bureaucratic realities of running a charity? Or put another way, how do you keep from losing the mission of God with your team? Who wants to delve into these murky waters? I can go ahead if you want, Kev. I, uh, I think it's really about intentionality. 
And uh, I've, I've had opportunity through my consulting um, business to, to work with a few different charities up in Toronto and, and elsewhere who started as faith-based organizations and they lost it. And they became a generic social service agency. And, and at some point in time, um, they wanted to reclaim that. Um, and and that's, that's a whole nother conversation of the pathway of reclaiming it. But it happens when you aren't intentional about keeping your, your organization, a faith-based organization, really no different than ourselves and our own personal lives. If we are not intentional about our own faith development, um, keeping our eyes on, on Christ and developing our own uh, relationship with him, then, then we become stagnant. And we may be doing good things. We may be working a good job. But, but we may not be a vibrant Christian. And it's no different for, for a, a community organization that starts as a vibrant faith-based organization. When you take your eye off the ball, when you take your eye off of Christ and, and you start pursuing the funding and the funding isn't the issue, it's, it's, it's whether you're looking at the funding, whether you're looking at Christ. Um, having board members who aren't believers isn't the issue. It's whether you're more concerned about having business professionals on your board or you're more concerned about having a spirit-led board. Mm. So, so for me uh, and our organization, um, with Matthew House in particular, it's really about being very intentional. We just went through a whole process of redoing our bylaws, and we were very careful to protect those elements of our bylaws that protect our faith identity. And, and that goes from, I tell people all the time, we are uh, we welcome everybody and support everybody, regardless of their 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 values, beliefs, faiths, approach. But uh, we are unabashedly a Christian organization, and and we are very intentional about about protecting that aspect of our organization and keeping Christ as the center of all that we do. How about how about the rest of the panel here? Uh, what do you make of the church? parachurch paradigm and, and this whole matter of uh, how how the spirit leads and, and uh, the centrality of faith. Uh, because I, I know the reality of, of relief and development work. You, you rub shoulders, you join hands with the whole city, not, not just a bunch of church people. And uh, and uh, but uh, as as directors, um, you know, how do you walk that line? I uh, so a, a few years ago, we went through a process of looking at our so we're a church. We're not. I mean, that's a charitable organization, but we're not a not for profit. We're a church. Hmm. And uh, I, I have a really strong personally, I have a strong aversion to parachurch church ministries. I came from a parachurch ministry and. It, there is no such thing as parachurch. It is the church, first of all. Yeah. But but also I saw this real problem of integrating people into uh, community with people like the church. Uh, so we went through this process where a bunch of our board members wanted to separate this program that we've been doing this. They used to call it a separate whole entity, even though it wasn't. And they wanted to separate and make it a faith-based uh, not-for-profit and a, and a church. And I said, no, that's that's actually the opposite way we want to go. And many churches ha were against kind of what we were doing even because they thought it would be a better idea. 
But the reality is for us, it's been the best thing we can do because we're the church. We are a church that people like. Uh, you know what I mean? We're not just a church that is there for people on Sunday. We're open every day of the week. Uh, I'm Pastor Kevin to all the businesses downtown uh, and to people who are standing outside waiting for food or to, you know, people at, at the other agencies. Um, I, I really struggled for for about five years in a parachurch just trying to understand how that would how that could work, um, uh, you know, connecting people in. And so for me, that's been um been a thing but then I've also looked at uh I kind of think I have two roles we have we have this business thing that has to happen it does it, it's got to happen right we got to have books we got to have that and and then there's this other thing so that's just tasks whatever that can happen but then there's the call or the mission and that's the life-giving thing my mentor said uh you know there's if you're gonna or if you're gonna have a horse you got to have two ends and everybody wants to feed the horse, but nobody wants the rear, right? And so I kind of look at it like that. There's this rear end that I have to clean up all the time and, and at the bureaucracy. But the reality is it's amazing feeding the horse um, and it's amazing living out mission. Um, but for, for me, really, it's been really important to have the church uh, as the entity. Um, and, and, I, and I speak to that broadly because we have 80% of churches in Guelph support us and, and participate with us. So that's not just us. That's beyond us. So, Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've walked a similar journey with, with New Song Church and, and Feeding Windsor is part of, of New Song Church. And, uh, you know, I remember in the early days, and Mike, you'd remember this, that we were trying to discern are, are we a church that does mission things or are we a mission that has a church thing you know and 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 uh, but uh, similar similarly uh, when when you take this um, uh, hybrid or or maybe actually it's not a hybrid maybe it's the original <laughs> design you know of uh, churches take care of widows and orphans, you know, that might be uh, the case, uh, that uh, the, the other parts of, of the church, the, the followers of Jesus, come alongside and say, right on, how can we help? You know, how can we support what you're doing? And, uh, you know, um, on the other side of, of the, 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 this whole um, uh, field, I guess, uh, sometimes agencies tend to live in a silo. Uh, they're busy trying to, uh, to do um, good work, to, uh, to do social work, to, to, to help the community, um, but it can get into a silo where they become unaware of the other community partners doing the same things. Occasionally, uh, you know, they'll they'll uh, get into uh, a weird scenario where, oh, you're doing exactly the same thing that we're doing. And uh, we're both going after the same resources. We're both applying for the same grants. Um, how have uh, you found that um, working with other groups, other agencies, uh, how has that collaboration helped and uh, and are you avoiding duplication? Uh, and uh, how important is that uh, that uh, 
piece of working together uh, for the common good. I could uh, speak to a bit of that just in this last year. Um, mm -hmm. The WISH project, the Winter Interim Solution Project that I talked about earlier, was derived um, with nine organizations around a table that came and said, can we do something together that we would not independently consider doing because it's just too hard, it's too big, it's too much. Um, and we, and that's how WISH happened. That's how the Winter Interim Solution happened. This question and your previous question for me really feed into each other about um, being the church because there's, the other question is if you're on mission, are we duplicating church? And I think that that's not true either. So first of all, I always like to dispel the concern about duplication of services is it's not a duplication if there's a need that's unmet. That's like it, that is a conservative viewpoint that just tries to, um, it tries to excuse us from, from addressing the needs in our community. If we say, well, that's just a duplication of services if there aren't enough homes for people, we need more homes. If there aren't enough meals for people to be uh, fed, then there aren't enough meals. Like that's not a duplication. Now, what is frustrating, and Doug will attest to this, sometimes we'll be feeding someone a meal here at the Ark and some lovely church or do good Samaritan sets up right across the street <laughs> at our meal time and dumps clothes out across the entire uh, sidewalk and we'll want, you know, great heart. You got to love the heart, but my goodness, the execution, right? Like it's a duplication. Yeah. It's not consistent. People can't count on that resource. It's really comes from a great place, but just executed poorly. So this is where partnership and, and reaching out. And what I like to think of the, the arc, and I do use the language of, of sort of a parachurch because here at the Ark, yes, we are a church to some people, but to the church, we're an expression. We're a place of expression for the church. And many churches use us and come to us for that expression, for that understanding of, of the mission of the church. And, you know, that is, again, a bureaucratic thing. We, the people, are the church. So the, it's, it's kind of a silly question in one way. It's all about definitions. But in another way... I tell people all the time, I was saved from being saved. I, I grew up in a church Christian family. Uh, I needed expression and service in the margins of, of life to help me understand the great gift that Jesus that Jesus did for me. And so yeah. that's a that's a mission field as well that we that we actually work within with our volunteers and and those who come to work alongside us, that's also an, a very important part of what we do is introduce people to Jesus. Uh, because when we serve the least of these, we're serving Jesus. And so we have an opportunity to then again, talk about humility and humbleness and how to serve. And so full circle back to your second question, how do we work in collaboration with others? Um, this year for the ARC, it's been taking that faith approach to hard problems like this winter solution and saying, will we by faith say yes, sign the agreement and do this thing that no one organization can do alone and trust that together we can solve a problem. 
And that's what our board did. I was never so proud of this board and also, you know, kind of shaken in my boots to say, I've only been here four months. Would you consider, <laughs> would you consider signing this $1 million contract with the city of London? You've never done this before. Um, you know, that's not easy to say, you know, I don't have a plan and I know it's only been six weeks in the making, but we're going to do it. I know we can do it. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the faith component. And I loved when Kevin was talking earlier, it's the invisible things. See, people don't know that our reason for being bold is, is God's great love for the people that we are serving. That is the thing that, that motivates us, right? And so it's what are you rooted in as you do this work? That's what really makes the difference between am I becoming too secular or am I, why are you doing it? Because of God's great love. I know that God loves these people more than I do more than you do, more than our city plans do. God loves these people and he will make the way. So we need to put our energy into it. We need to work with the partners. We need to, you know, I kind of think of it like, I don't, it was actually Doug who first told me this, this quote and Doug made sure I get it right. But, you know, do the gospel and when necessary, like speak. No, I said it wrong. I know I did for sure. But, you know, we, we get to be, the gospel to people. We don't really have to lead with our words necessarily. And I'm not saying we don't ever need to use our words. Please don't hear that. But I'm saying we not only on the individual level, but on the systems level with partners, with churches, with like, I try to serve my, my inter-community health center. I serve them in every way I can because God loves them and the work they're doing. And I think it's that same way. And that's why we don't need to, I don't think, need to worry about either duplication of services or be fearful of partnerships. I think that's actually why we go in boldly with those kingdom values that say the greatest is the least, the, the servant is the leader. Like that's how we do. And that way of doing things, it does knock people off their socks. If you want to really shock your bureaucracy, tell them you're there to serve them. They're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that will change. That is the way we bring the kingdom here on earth in a, on our day-to-day -day work. So, yeah. Sarah, I like uh, the phrase you mentioned earlier about uh, you, you got saved from being saved and uh, you know, we get it. The, the it, it, there's a little bit of a, I think a chicken and an egg paradigm here, you know, which came first uh, did, a decision to follow Jesus lead to uh, becoming a loving person of compassion? Or does being a person who's growing in love and compassion lead you to follow Jesus? Um, Roger, uh, I'm, I'd love uh, for you to share a little bit about, uh, you know, your journey, because, um, um, you know, which came first <laughs> for you? And, and I'll just ask you to unmute your microphone there. Yeah, go ahead. Well, as you know, Kevin, I, I, I came as kind of a rebel in, into it. In fact, I came into uh, serving more from a humanity, uh, a humanity point of view. And uh, then uh, and, I, and I worked in a Christian faith-based uh, uh, organization for five years before I went. But the la absence of Christ in that organization made me be more of a rebel. And uh, that's what drove me to, to become the founder of Peeding Windsor was because I just, and I didn't have a plan, Craig, I gotta tell you. Um, 
And uh, but I, I I thought that the churches are quoting scripture all the time, talking about what Jesus is supposed to do, but I don't see many of them doing it. So I thought, you know, I, I'm just going to go do and 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 challenge churches and the churches that support me literally. I, I guess in some ways, uh, some of them actually maybe felt bullied into it almost, uh, but it worked for the time being. It got me started. Um, but uh, the, the church that we went into, uh, actually the, the reverend, uh, I, I hadn't met him. Uh, I, I, I worked at a, a mission just down the road and I walked up the street when I had had enough and walked in and said what I wanted to do. And he said, you know what? He says, I, I was told on a retreat that um, I was to reach the downtown core through food. And uh, uh, I told him what I wanted to do. And he says, well, I have a wards meeting, a wardens meeting tonight. He says, I'll call you Friday morning. Didn't know, I, I'm sure he didn't know my name when he went to the wardens meeting and called me the next morning. He says, yeah, come down, pick up the keys and the alarm codes and have at it. And that's how Feeding Windsor started. And, and you know, we started doing three meals a week. I'd uh, come in with the food, cook the meals, and then I'd go work a job I was working 60 hours a week at. And that's how we started. But I, I, I wasn't led by, and, and I, I came in with a very selfish attitude too. I came in with the idea that this has got nothing to do with the, any expectations from the people I'm serving. This is about me. This is about who I want to be. And um, I went on and uh, gradually I would go in and cook you know, and wash up the dishes and go to work. And people would come to me and say, look, I see you here every Tuesday. And do you mind if I come in and help you out? You know, and they'd come in and they'd help peel potatoes and carrots and help cook and help make clean and wash the floor before I left. And then all of a sudden they say, well, when I was at the Zayers on Friday, I picked up a couple of grocery carts. And literally that's how we started. And we did 12,000 meals that year. Um, and, and it wasn't until actually that I went over to New Song that actually I started getting pulled more towards uh, Christ. Yeah. Yep. That was an incredible day, Roger, when uh, you and Janine uh, were baptized. And uh, I, just as, as your friend, I just want to say uh, I, I love watching the we're talking about transformers you're a transformer but you've been transformed that brings us to the end of part one on transformers we'll return on july 15th with part two july 1st today is canada day and i'm sure that you've noticed uh, many instances where our flag is flying at half mast that is a uh, sign of mourning. That is a sign of recognition uh, of the uh, travesty of justice that has happened against our Aboriginal and First Nations people. Uh, now, none of us were here on July 1st, 1867, when C Confederation was formed. None of us. And yet, as we think about uh, the uh, things that happened in residential schools with children uh, from First Nations and Aboriginal children. Uh, I think the, there is a, a, a need for us to, 
to grieve with those who grieve and to remember the mistakes of the past. Unfortunately, uh, that particular mistake, not mistake, that particular injustice happened uh, from uh, people that were acting in the name of Jesus. Um, and that's, that's an awful thing. As we come back on part two of Transformers, one of the things we're going to be talking about is toxic charity. When do our attempts to do something good to help people actually end up having negative and adverse effects on them? I'm sure you're uh, finding our guests on the episode to be uh, remarkable people and, and every single one of them have, have a beautiful heart to help. And, uh, and yet sometimes we can have a heart to help, but go about it the wrong way. So we wanna talk a bit about that on part two. So make sure you uh, uh, subscribe to this podcast and come back on July 15th when we hear part two. Until then, I'm Kevin Rogers. And this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.